Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. All right, guys, first service of the new year. Are you guys excited? Thank you. Thank you for the one person. All right, here we go. We are kicking off a brand new series. I'm going to tell you, I promise you, this series is going to challenge you. I know I say that every time we do a new series, right? We do new series and say, ah, it's going to challenge you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to encourage you, right? It's, it's going to make you laugh. And, and all of that's true about this, this series. So we're kicking off a brand new series this week called Jesus Never Said That. Or Jesus Didn't Say That. How about that? There you go. <laughs> It's both, right? Jesus didn't say that. I love that picture right there. It's like the face to palm moment, right? And I think it's a very good expression of maybe how Jesus looks sometimes while he's hanging out with the Father. Like, did you hear what they just said? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, do you not think that Jesus says stuff like that? No? Come on, y'all. It's the first, first service of the, of the new year. Y'all got to laugh a little bit. All right. Someone says say something funny, we'll laugh. Be quiet. All right. Here we go. So uh, have you ever, have you ever uh, had or heard your grandma tell you something that you just kind of question in regards to like church or regards to the Bible or regards to something? She tells you something or your grandfather tells you something and you kind of question like, is that in there? Really? Like, like maybe a question, maybe a statement like this. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody ever heard that before? Cleanliness is next to godliness. I, can rem- I don't remember very much about my great grandmother, but I do remember a couple things, right? And that statement came out of her mouth. Like she quoted it with confidence like it came right from the scripture. Cleanliness is next to godliness, boy. That's what she would say. Um, how about this one? God helps those who what? Help themselves. Have you heard that one before? God helps those who help themselves. But Jesus didn't say that. Just like he didn't say cleanliness is next to godliness. He didn't say that. And then for some of us, we've heard things like this, and it hasn't really affected us. But for others of us, we are, we, we've heard these things, and they've written things on our hearts, and it's challenged us. It's changed the way we see the world, right? It's affected our relationship with the church. It's affected our relationship with God. So over the next several weeks during this series, we're going to be picking apart some statements that you may have heard Maybe you even believe, maybe you even said recently, we're going to be taking those scriptures, picking them apart, and and finding out, did Jesus really say this? And is it really a, a scriptural concept? That's what we're going to be doing. Statements like this, maybe, maybe you've heard this before. Statements like, if you have more faith, fill in the blank. Ever heard that before? If you, have, if you had just enough faith, then you would be healed. If you had enough faith, your marriage would have stayed together. If you had enough faith, your kids wouldn't have gone off the rails. If you had enough faith, you would have kept your job. If you had enough faith, your bills would be paid. Anybody ever heard, if you had enough faith, right? We're going to unpack that one. How about, if God leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. You heard that one before? Maybe you said that one too. If God leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. The problem with that is, is how do you really know what God's led you to and what God's going to lead you through? Sometimes we make that statement when we've made a mess of something and we want to jump on it. God, God's, I know God's not going to give up on me. God, God's not, he's going he's to lead me through this. He led me to it. He's going to lead me through it. No, no, your decisions led you to it, but God's so good, he will lead you through it, Right? We're going to unpack some of that. Uh, how about the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Now, you've heard that one before. But, but Jesus didn't say that. But it's in the Bible. But Jesus didn't say that. 
We're going to unpack that one. How about, um, how about if you don't have enough to meet your needs, you just need to sow a seed. Better watch televangelists. Don't raise your hand and incriminate yourself. You ever watch televangelists? Late at night on TV, eating Cheetos in your recliner, <laughs> watching the televangelist. If you don't have enough to meet your need, just, just sow, a, sow a seed. How about this? If you don't believe the right things, you'll go to hell. Hmm. How about, how about this one? This is another one. Um, how about this one? God is, God's in control. Oh, I've said that before. I've said that before. God's, God is in control, Right? But Jesus didn't say that. Oh, it got real quiet in here. It did get real. It's so quiet in here, you can hear a pin drop on the carpet, somebody. Come on. It's quiet. So where you go and see, coming up in the Pentecostal denomination, I came up in a Pentecostal denomination, the was of God, right? Uh, they, they leaned heavily on holiness teaching. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have heard all three of these statements preached with passion and fire, the statements that we're about to unpack today. So our desire for this series is to help bring life back into your relationship with God, excuse me, with God, and to start 2024 off by saying goodbye to false beliefs and hello to grace and truth. So we're going to unpack these three statements today, and we're going to look at them in detail. The first one is this. You must confess all your sins to be forgiven. That's the first one. You, you must confess all your sins to be forgiven, right? The second one is this. God, and I've heard this one, God can only forgive the same sin so many times, right? How about this one? How about this one? Every time you sin, God gets angry. When you sin, God gets angry. Those are, those are three statements. Now, Maybe you haven't heard that. Praise God. If you haven't grown up listening to that or hearing that in your church experience, good for you. For those of us who have, we need this message. Amen? We need this. So let's kick off the new year with some right things, some right teaching, some right thinking, and set some people free. So let's go with number one. Ready? You must confess all your sins to be forgiven. Now, before we even begin to unpack this, I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make it very, very clear, crystal clear, where I stand in regards to sin. Because needless to say, we're going to get through this message, and at some point, someone's going to say, well, Pastor Chris thinks this sin is not that big of a deal. It always happens. But you know, watch this. Uh, this, is a side, this is a side note. This is not even the message. Do you know how you know you're preaching grace, right? You ready for this? You know how you know when you're preaching grace? When people go, wait a minute. Well, if I'm under grace, does that mean I can continue to sin and, and, and get away with it? Did you know that? The Apostle Paul, go read in Romans. The Apostle Paul said three different times. Now, here's the grace of God. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, can I go ahead and sin since I'm under grace anyways? And he said, no, don't you realize that whoever you submit yourself to obey, you're that one's slave, whether sin that leads to death or obedience that leads to what? Righteousness. So before we even get going, let me make it crystal clear my view of sin because I don't want any confusion. Here it is. You ready? I think sin is stupid. <laughs> Come on. I think. <laughs> thank you. Somebody in the foyer. Amen. I think, I think sin is stupid. Listen. And I think it's stupid because it leads to death. It leads to death. Death in every facet. For the Romans says, Romans says, so the wages of sin is what? Come on. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Come on, somebody. 
Get that man a gold star. All right. It's true. For the wages of sin is death. Sin produces death in every facet of our lives. It will produce death in our, you commit adultery, it produces death in your relationship, right? Go off and fly off the handle in anger, you might find yourself in jail for committing murder, <laughs> you know? Sin destroys everything it touches. And so I am anti-sin. Do you, do you hear me? I'm anti-sin. It was such a big deal that it led to Christ putting on humanity's flesh, walking with humanity, exchanging humanity's sin to give us life. So make no mistake about it. I believe that sin is absolutely stupid, horrific, and destroys lives. I have seen it destroy my life throughout my last 43 years. Are we clear? Everybody good? All right. So you must confess all your sins to be forgiven. Now, the word confession can mean uh, many different things to different people. It's important to clarify what words mean. You, you understand that? Because my idea of what great is might not be your idea of what great is, right? But we view everything that happens through a lens of what that definition is. So your definition of what you've been taught confessing is might be different than what I've been taught confessing is. But here's the deal. It's going to be the lens by which we read scriptures that relate to confession. Okay? So... Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. So the word confession can mean, like I said, means many things to different people. For some of us, we've been taught that to confess means that we're to hit, our, hit the altar on our knees. Like when you confess your sins, you got to hit the altar on our knees. When I was coming up as a, as a teenager in youth group, uh, 16, 17 years old, gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old, I went to a youth group. I told you I went to a uh, Summers of God church. I'm not knocking all Summers of God church. This church is the one I went to. But I'm going to tell you, every single Wednesday night, we would hear the message from the youth pastor, and I love this guy. He taught me a lot of good things. But he, we would hear a message every single Wednesday night. And at the end of every single message, the statement was, do you know where you would go if you died tonight? You know what you did this week. Do you think that what you did this week sets you up for eternity? If not, you need to come and confess your sins. At least you die in a car accident on the way home. Isn't that crazy? Every, there were times when we were, we were down at the altar crying our eyes. I remember looking at my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I remember looking at her and I said, I think I'm done going to the altar and doing this confession thing because I leave with a headache every single Wednesday, right? Because I'm terrified because if I have some kind of thing I did wrong, and you know if you're a teenager, you did some things wrong, Amen. Even on your best day, you know you did some things wrong. Even when you're churchy-churchy, you know you did some things wrong. And I felt horrible because I felt like, man, every time I do something wrong, if I don't somehow confess it, then, then something bad is going to happen to me when I die. That's, maybe that's what you've been taught confessing is. For others of us, the, the word confession means you go into a box and you talk to a father, remember? You go in there and you say something like this, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I told the lady at Walmart as I was walking out the door after checking myself out when she checked my receipt that her job was stupid. Forgive me. That's my confession. You've never done that before? No? Okay, just keep going. Listen, at least when you leave here, you'll feel better about yourself, right? Because, like, man, I'm not as bad as the pastor, okay? So, um, so, but whatever view of confession we have will be the lens by which we 
view of Scripture. Maybe some of us have a more realistic and healthy view of what confession is. Maybe you had a pastor or a parent or a friend teach you that true confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says, that it's wrong, but that it's forgiven, right? But it becomes the view by which we read these scriptures. And if you read through the gospel, and this is going to shock some of us, and some of you are not going to believe me, and that's okay. Go check it out for yourself. And guess what? We don't even have to agree, amen? We can agree to disagree. It's okay, right? But you go through and read the gospels. There's not a single time, listen, there's not a single time where Jesus said, the only way that you can be forgiven is you confess all your sins. Did you know that? Not a single time did he say that. Do I believe that using confession in this term, that that you share what you're dealing with, your struggle with God. Do I believe there's something wrong with that? Absolutely not. Do I believe when you miss the mark and you go, man, I've really missed the mark in this area, you going to God and saying, God, I've missed the mark in this area. Do I believe that's wrong? No, that's great. Good for you. That's good. But that doesn't change how God sees you. It does not change how God sees you. Not once did he say this. Actually, it's quite shocking uh, for something that has become such a major focus in church. You'd figure there'd be at least some scripture, some place that Jesus said, in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, you must confess all your sins. But there's not. There's not. First of all, you ain't going to tell Jesus something he doesn't already know, right? You're not going to tell him something he doesn't already know. And secondly, uh, the confession of sins or to say the same thing about them that God says comes after an encounter with Jesus. Always comes after an encounter with Jesus. See, see, when I repent or I turn away from or I share or I reveal what I'm dealing with with God, it always comes after an encounter with Jesus, right? And in and, and Luke chapter 19, you remember the story? Uh, Jesus is walking through a town, and there's this little wee man named, named Zacchaeus. You remember that? Zacchaeus, the little wee man? He was short in stature. You remember that? You grew up in church? He was really short, right? And he climbed up a sycamore tree, right, to see Jesus walking by. And when Jesus came walking by, Jesus turned around and called him by name, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is like, whoa. And so he says, Invite me to your house. They go to Zacchaeus' house. Now, Zacchaeus was a mob boss. Zacchaeus was a swindler. He was a tax collector. He was robbing and stealing and cheating people continually. He invites Jesus into his house, has an encounter with Jesus. And do you know what? It's not recorded that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, repent or burn. Like, there's no, no commentary. There's no recording of that. He didn't look at Zacchaeus and say, if you don't repent of all your sins, you will go to hell. He didn't say anything like that. We read that Jesus came and hung out with them, and, and, and being in the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus had a change of heart. He has a major change of heart, and he tells him, he says, listen, if I've done anybody wrong, if I've, st- if I've done anything wrong, I'm going give, to give them four times back what I took for them. I'm going to give half of my, my, my wealth all away. The repentance or the confession of where he was at came from an encounter with Jesus. You see, forgiveness... Forgiveness is an act of grace. Y'all say grace for me. Y'all are quiet this morning. Y'all are not normally this quiet. I know you are. It says forgiveness is an act of grace. Now hear me. Repentance comes from an encounter with grace. And confession comes as an expression of repentance. Did you hear what I just said? 
So forgiveness is an act of grace. Repentance comes from an encounter with grace. And confession is an expression of repentance. Forgiveness is not purchased with the currency of your confession. Did you hear what I just said? Forgiveness is not purchased with the currency of of your confession. Your salvation is not purchased with your ability to pray the right thing, say the right thing, do the right thing. You see, if my forgiveness is the currency, or my confession is the currency of my forgiveness, then it's my confession that gets me forgiven and not, not God's grace that forgives. There's one scripture in the New Testament that if taken out of context looks like we have to confess all of our sins to be forgiven. And let me just make this clear again. Jesus didn't say that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, this is what it says. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful in what? Come on, to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness, right? All, un- all, witness, all wickedness, right? But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, if you take that one scripture out of context, you can use that as a cosign to say, see, listen, the way you get forgiven is by confessing your sin. If you want to be forgiven, you got to confess. You want to be forgiven, you got to confess. You got to confess them. But confess how? How many of them? Which ones of them? All of them. What about the ones you didn't confess? Are there, what about the ones you forgot? How about that? How about the ones you forgot? Because I done did some sins, I forgot. That I try to forget. Right? We don't talk about And I can use that. And that's how it's often used. One scripture out of context used to tell people, if you don't confess your sins, you're not forgiven. But listen, what, what number is that verse? Come on, what number is that verse? That means there are how many before it? Eight other verses before it. Four other chapters after it, right? And so there's eight verses before it. The apostle John is writing to a group. He's writing to to a, a, a group of people called Gnostics. He's writing to these Gnostics who have infiltrated the church. Gnostics believe in, in just some, some weird things. They don't believe Jesus came in the flesh. They don't believe anything like that. They believe he was completely spiritual, never once came in the flesh or anything like that, right? And, and they don't believe that sin is actually real. They, they believe it's just a, a state of mind. And so John goes through verses 1 through 8, and he lines it up for him. He says, listen, if you want to say there's no sin whatsoever, you're wrong. If you want to say sin is relative, there's no sin at all whatsoever, you're, you're wrong. Actually, if you go around saying, I'm, not, I'm sinless, I'm without sin, I have no sin, you make God be a liar. You make God to be a liar, right? But good news is this, that if we come to a place where we recognize that we have sin, There's always forgiveness, and there's always grace for that. You see, salvation, and we've talked about this so many times before, your salvation, right, your salvation took place how many years ago, church? Come on, 2,000. Jesus went to the cross how many years ago? Come on, this 2,000, right? Jesus died how many years ago? 2,000, all right, Jesus, (laughs) we're getting there. Plus, 2,000 plus. All right, Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 plus years ago, amen? Is Jesus being crucified, buried, and resurrected every day? 
No, it was a one-time deal, wasn't it? It was. Salvation for the world was provided one time through one sacrifice. Now, your participation in it comes when you go, I need that. It comes when you go, I realize that sin has wrecked my life. I realize that left to my own devices, I will destroy myself. And I realize that Christ has given a way out of that. And so I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ dying on the cross 2,000 years ago is an objective truth. That's an objective truth. Did you give permission for Jesus to die for you? Come on, church. No, you didn't. That's very good. I heard her all the way back there. You better come on. That eight-year-old got in the back. All right. <laughs> so did you give permission for Jesus to die for you? The answer is no. It's an objective truth. But it becomes your subjective reality when you believe it, when you trust it. And that's what John is saying in this moment. John is simply saying, listen, if you trust God, if you put your faith in Christ, the sins that you think you don't have will be forgiven and you'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's how it works. That's how it works. Context is everything when we're going through scripture. Context is everything. Do you know the word right there, confess, in 1 John 1, 9? It's the Greek word homologeo. Homologeo, which means to say the same thing as another, to agree with it and to assert. And the verses right before that said, if you say you don't have sin, you make God to be a liar. But if you confess that you do have sin, you line up with God. You agree with God. You're saying the same thing about your sin that God says. Guess what? And that sin is now forgiven. And you can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Is it clicking for anybody else in the room? Okay, the word confess is the word homologeo, right? Homologeo, something like that. And it means to agree, say the same thing as another, to agree with or to assent. Do you know the word sin is the word harmatia? It's the word harmatia. And the word harmatia, it's an archer's term. You know, bow and arrow, target. When you draw a bow or draw an arrow back in a bow and you release it, you're shooting for a target. If you don't hit the target, you've missed the mark. That's literally what sin is. It's to miss the mark. That's it. We get the pieces of all these different things, and we want to start categorizing everybody else, and we start want to start uh, you know categorizing people by their sin. Sin is just simply to miss the mark. What mark are you missing? The mark of God's love. That's what it is. When we Oh, I can preach on this forever. When, when, when we refuse to love God, love ourselves, or love others, we're missing the mark. So when we refuse to love in any capacity, we're going to miss the mark. That's sin, right? You, you tracking? So, so can God forgive without repentance or confession? What do you think the answer is? Yes. God can forgive without repentance or confession. You better hope so, because it happened 2,000 years ago. Right? Before you ever got a chance to confess. Now, does God forgive without repentance or confession? The answer is yes. There's this story in Luke chapter 5, or Luke chapter 5, sorry, verse 18. Luke 5, verse 18. Let's look what it says. 
It says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. And they tried to take him inside to Jesus. Now, Jesus was doing all sorts of ministry at this person's house. And it says, these four men tried to take him inside, but, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And so they went up on the roof of this guy's house and took off some tiles. First of all, really awesome friends. Second of all, if I owned the house, I'd be very frustrated and mad. Right? So they, they went up to the roof and they took off some tiles and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now watch this. It says, seeing their faith. Whose faith? It didn't say seeing the man's faith. It says seeing their faith, right? It says, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are what? Wait a second. He can't do that. The man didn't confess. The man didn't repent. The man didn't go through all the things he's supposed to. He didn't get into a box with a guy and talk about it. It says, young man, your sins are what? Forgiven. Keep going. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious laws. This is, this is, this is what church people do. This is what church people do. They get so mad when they, when they see someone experience the grace of God. Not our church people, but church people. You get what I'm saying? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, what, who does he think he is? Who, who does he think he is? God, this is so familiar. <laughs> That's blasphemy, for only God can forgive sins. Keep going. It said Jesus knew, uh, knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, what do you, why do you question this in your hearts? Why do you question the story? He said, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Which one is easier to say, y'all? Your sins are forgiven, right? That's the easier one. Your sins are forgiven. What's harder is to say, stand up and walk. <laughs> he said, he said, oh, so, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, now stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went, he went home praising God. One more. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. What is missing from this story? confession, right? What is missing? Begging God to forgive? None of that was there. The guy, listen, I don't even know that the guy went there looking to be forgiven. They were looking to get this man up and out of the mat, off the mat. And what they got was forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness and healing. You see, the danger of telling someone that you must confess all your sins in order to be forgiven by God puts salvation in their hands and puts the relationship with God out of reach. Now, are you tracking? It puts salvation in their hands and puts, puts the relationship with God out of reach. So number one, you, you must confess all your sins to be forgiven. Uh, say it with me. Jesus didn't say that. Thank you for the three people. Jesus didn't say that. Number two, God can only forgive the same sins 
so many, so many times. God can only forgive the same sin so many times. This statement is born out of control. It's born out of control. What better way to try to control someone than to tell them that if you do it again, they're going to get it, right? What better way, right? What better way? I get boundaries. Boundaries are important. Would you agree with me, church? Boundaries are important. And I get the importance of informing your kids, like, like hey, if you do this again, you're going to lose privileges. I, I get that, right? Um, Yesterday, uh, I had a situation with one of my kids, my, one of my sons. I'm not going to name his name, but one of my sons. And, and, and usually my kids are fantastic. They're great. They're awesome. They're always good kids for the most part, and, except for yesterday. And so what happened yesterday was there was a, a Fortnite rage. Anybody have kids who's played Fortnite? Anybody play Fortnite? You, you know, there's, there's all this raging that happens when you lose. You get sniped out. You get double teamed, whatever the case is. And my son uh, went off, and he was freaking out, and, and, I, and I ended up getting loud with him. He got loud with me, and he, I got louder with him. He got loud with me, and we got loud. See, in my house growing up, we didn't really get beat. We just yelled. And whoever yelled the loudest won the fight. Amen? Anybody else grow up in the house like that? No? Good for your parents, y'all. Yeah, y'all got beat. Well, good for my parents then. All right. There we go. <laughs> wow. So we're going back and forth. I'm getting louder. He's getting louder. I'm getting louder. He's getting louder. And then I realized in this moment, I'm like, look, if you continue to do this, you're not playing Fortnite for the rest of the day. And then I remembered, see, our house is one of these old houses over here in Hinton Village, built in 1919. And it's a duplex, 1918. Thank you. It's a duplex. And it's right there. I got neighbors on the other side of me. And I, and I texted my neighbors who go to our church. And I said, this is exactly what I said. So funny. Hold on. I said, uh, I said, hey, bro, I'm apologizing right now if you can hear me and my son going at it. It got loud in here, Fortnite and chores. That was what we were arguing about. And I love his response. He said, I appreciate it. Today's the day to do that, though. We're out of town. Go ham. <laughs> you got to love good neighbors like that, right? And they come to church. This is awesome. But I get boundaries. I get that. But you know what's crazy is limiting forgiveness, limiting forgiveness for doing the same thing over and over again is not found in Scripture. You know, if you struggle with something over and over again, there is not a limit to the forgiveness of God in your life. That's not a cosign to just go live however you want to and do it anyways. Again, sin destroys your life, right? But there is no limit to the forgiveness of God for your life. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, what's crazy is like, even if you read in the Old Testament, there are times where you will pull for limited forgiveness. Have you ever read the Old Testament and you're like reading through it and you're watching Israel make mistakes and you get to one page and you're like, oh, God's so going to get them, get them, Lord, you know? And you turn the next page and then God's like forgiving them and you're like, why? There are times where you root for limited forgiveness, right? Which is why you would make a very bad God, and so would I, right? Because we wouldn't have got past chapter 3, you know, where Adam and Eve ate the fruit, sin, hidden the fig leaves. That would have been it. Close the book. We're done. No? Okay. Y'all are such graceful people. But limited forgiveness, it's not found in there. It's not found in there. And if you go back and you read through the Old Testament, even with the the um, partial view of God that the, the writers of the Old Testament had, they still understood 
God's forgiveness is not limited. If you go back and you read in Lamentations, which nobody reads Lamentations, it's not a very fun book to read. That and Jeremiah, it's just not. If you ever go back, now you're going to go read it, and you're going to be like, why did I read that? It's not fun to read. But you go in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, and it says this. The faithful love of our Lord, what? Never ends. ends. And his mercies, what? Never Never cease. Go to the next verse. It says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Every morning. Israel, at this point, they're in Babylonian captivity, and they've completely turned their backs on God, and yet the prophet Jeremiah writes something beautiful, a beautiful reminder. His love never ends. His mercies never cease. They are new each morning. Thank you, God, for new days. You ever got to the end of your day and go, I just want to go to sleep so I can wake up and have some new mercies because I'm burning them up today. Anybody? Micah, the prophet Micah writes in, in Micah 7:19, it says, once again, you once again, once again. What's that tell you? Once again. It happened before. Now it's happening again. It's not limited. Once again, <laughs> you will have compassion on us. And you will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. And listen, I came up reading the New King James Version of the Bible. That's where I memorize a lot of my scriptures. And I love this verse because it says, and you throw those sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Y'all remember that verse? The sea of forgetfulness. Where is that at? I don't know. But it's forgetful. Right? The sea of forgetfulness. Watch this. Go go to Romans chapter 5 real quick. I won't keep you all all day, I promise. All right? Romans 5, verse 18, we're going to start there. Watch this. It says, yes, Adam's one sin brings what? Condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Stop. What? Look what it says. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Do you know what's missing from that verse? Is this what's missing? This is what's missing. But Christ's one act of righteousness and your ability to confess all your sins brings right relationship with everyone. Keep going. Verse 19, watch what it says. Because one person disobeyed God, many became what? Sinners. (laughs) But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made what? Many will be made righteous then and forevermore. Watch. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became what? More abundant. Keep going. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules what? Instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Keep going. Oh, that's it. (laughs) I want to keep going. It's so good. You keep going. It's really good. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. I'm going to read some more scripture to you real quick. I just want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 10. It says, the old system of the law of Moses was only a what? A shadow. Gosh, that's so important. It's so important. Right? It was only a shadow. It was a dim preview of the good things to come. Who's the good thing to come? Jesus. Sunday school answer. Good job. Not the good things themselves. Watch what it says. Keep going. 
It says the sacrifices under that system, y'all know they made sacrifices religiously all the time, right? The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to, to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have what? Stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ came to the world and said to God, y'all, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal. Do you like the writers of Hebrews is reemphasizing something, right? First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for your sin, for sin. Nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. He said in verse nine, then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Keep going. For God's will was for us to be made what? Holy. By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again. See, when you live under the law, you come down to the altar service after service and you cry and you confess and you beg over and over and over again, never fully being free from the sin you remind yourself of every single service. Go back. I wasn't done reading. Go back. There you go. Day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away sins. Keep going. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for what? I don't know if this is hitting y'all like it hit me. But this is so good. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice. Good for all time. And then he sat down in place of honor at God's right hands. Man. Wait a minute. It keeps going, doesn't it? Do you have more? Here, I'm going to keep reading. Because I, I don't know. I must not send the other ones to you. Verse 12 says, all right. Verse 13 says, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. It says in verse 14, for by one offering, he forever, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He was, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. Verse 15 says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins 
and lawless deeds. I will never again remember their sins or or lawless deeds. So so the second one is, is God can only forgive the same sins so many times. Say it with me. Jesus didn't say that. I'm going to have y'all saying this by the end of the series, all right? Because y'all a little hesitant right now. You're still like, I don't even know if I believe this guy right now. I I don't know. Sounds good, but third one, the third one, when you sin, God gets angry. You know, I told you sin is simply defined as missing the mark, the Greek word hamartia. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you miss the mark? Come on, let's be honest in church today. Do y'all miss the mark? Every day. Um, That was the next question. Do you miss the mark every day? Good job. Do you try not to miss the mark but still miss the mark? Every day. Do you think that God stays in a perpetual state of anger towards you? No. No. And why? See, some might say, well, yeah, he does get angry with you, but it's with the big sins, though, right? Not the little ones. It's the big ones. Well, what are the big ones? What are the big sins? You know, the big ten that come for the ton, the ones that come from the big ten commandments, you know? The ten commandments. Y'all know the ten commandments? No one wants to say yes. All right, I'm not going to call you out and say, say the ten commandments. That's all right. I'll do it for you. So the big ten is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You should keep the Sabbath. You should honor your father and mother. Do you know that's the only commandment with a promise that you'll live a long life? That means that if you honor your mother and father, they won't kill you. (laughs) Number six. (laughs) Number six, you shall now kill, right? You shall not kill. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Number eight. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. First of all, let me just tell you, number three and number nine, no one really knows in church what that means. Number three, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Y'all don't know what that means half the time, right? Someone says GD and you're like, you took the Lord's name in vain. That's not what that means. Moving on. Number nine. You shall not bear false witness. Some of us don't know what that means either. Um, number 10, you shall not covet. Those are the big 10. So, of course, the sins that result from not doing the big 10, those are the big ones. Those are the ones God gets really angry with us about. Um, but, you know, when you get to the New Testament, what you see is, is whether you keep the big 10 or, or not, it comes down to love. Watch this. Jesus was once asked, which is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, verse 37, you got that one up there? It's coming. This is what it says. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your what? Mind. You remember? Yeah. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the entire law of the prophets are based on those two things. And if you go back and you, you, look, at, you, you, you look at the law, the Big Ten, what you'll realize is the first four are how we love God. And the bottom six is how we love others. And so he comes back and says, no, no, what's really important is how you love God and how you love others. And later on, he says, do you know the only commandment I give you? It's right here. You ready? To love. To 
love. That's the greatest commandment, to love. So really you would need to say if that's the case, God gets angry when, when you sin, you would really need to say that when you choose to act or live contrary to love, God gets angry, but that's not the case. And there's a scripture that is often used that can be used to co-sign this idea of God getting furious and angry with you when you sin. But I'm telling you, it's read out of context. So remember in Hebrews 10 where we just read all this really good stuff about Christ being the final sacrifice and all the stuff that we just read about that once and for all. Remember that? Yeah. All right. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 again. And in verse 26, we'll pick up at the back end of the, the chapter we just read. But all the good news that we just had. Now watch. Are you all ready? All right. There's a lot to say. You're going to have to sit on the list of this more than once. Okay. Hebrews 10, 26 says, dear friends, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice to cover those sins. It says, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment. See right there, Pastor Chris, it says God is furious with you when you sin. Keep going. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment, the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses will put to death without mercy on testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much more worse punishment it will be for those who have trampled the Son of God and have treated the blood covenant, the blood of the covenant, which has made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Verse 30. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. For he also said, the Lord will judge his own people. And verse 31, and this was a, a key verse for an old revivalist preacher named Jonathan Edwards who preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And verse 31 is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. So much there to unpack, but let me just let me just try to do this briefly. So, so God's love is an all-consuming fire. Scripture tells us this: that our God is an all-consuming fire, right? An all-consuming fire. And those who are uh, those who receive the love of God are warmed by its flames, and those who reject the love of God are burned by them. It's his judgment is a judgment of love. God has one disposition towards the world, and that disposition is love. God does not change, church. Now watch. The fearfulness that one faces in the presence of God is not his anger, but it is one, it's oneself. Why is it a, ter a terrible, or some translations would say, fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God? You ready? Is it because God's going to roll the screen down and show that beautiful bean footage of your whole entire life? You got that throwback to that commercial, right? Is it because God's going to bring the screen down and show everybody in the entire humanity what kind of a person you were, how horrible you were? Is that, is that why it's a terrible thing? That's what my great-grandma told me. He's going to bring a screen down and show everybody my deepest, darkest secrets. Dear God. Is that why, though? No. Why is it a terrible thing? Why is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? Listen to me. Because there is nowhere for you to hide. Listen to me. There are no fig leaves to hide behind. 
you are face to face with what you believe you are and who God is. See, sin, listen, doesn't change how God sees you. It always changes how you see God. I want you to hear me on this. You can come up and play, Mike. You want to come up, keys? I'll say it again. Sin doesn't change how God sees you. It always changes how you see God. His position towards us doesn't change. Let me give you an example. His position towards us doesn't change, right? One of my favorite things to do is watch the sun rise and the sun set. Anybody else love that? You, go out, you love watching the sun rise. You, lo- you love watching the sun set. It's a beautiful thing. And we'll say things like this, that the sun, it rises in the east and it sets in the but even in our language, listen to how we're talking about it. In our language, we're saying the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But is the sun really rising in the east and setting in the west? Or is our position changing? Because the sun stays consistent. The sun stays where it's at. It's the world. That travels and based on my position will determine how I see the sun. And the same thing is true for us. Let me tell you, don't get it twisted. God has always been the pursuer of humanity, always. He's always been the one chasing you down. You can't get rid of him. He's annoying like that. You ever tried? I have. Leave me alone. Always been the pursuer of humanity. Always. Your view of God is determined by your position towards God. Always. You see, if I do what John, 1 John 1, 9 says, and I admit, man, yeah, I'm a person who carries sin. I'm a person who deals with sin, and I need a Savior. Then guess what? The love of God is received as love and warmth and transformation. (laughs) But, I used to that. All right, but... But if I reject it, if I look to myself and I keep saying to myself, I got it all by myself. I can do bad all by myself. I don't need nobody else. You get to a place where that very same love then is received as wrath. It's received as wrath. That God's position towards you doesn't change. Ours does. I want to close with one more scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 through, 16 through 19. 1 John 4, 16 through 19, it says, And we know, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. For God is, what church? Love. And all who live in God... All who love, sorry, all who love, all who live in love, sorry, live in God. And God lives in where? Them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so that we are not afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we've lived like Jesus here in this world. Love recognizes love. Verse 18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love, what? 
casts out, it expels all fear. See, if we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And we love each other because he loved us first. The fearfulness of being in the hands of living God is not having a place to hide, not having something to hide behind, but coming face to face with love in its fullest form. But guess what happens at the end of that? Love transforms. Love transforms. It dispels fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. So number three, when you sin, God gets angry at you. Say it with me. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say it. You must confess all your sins to be forgiven. Forgiven. Jesus didn't say that. God can only forgive the same sins so many times. Jesus didn't say that. When you sin, God gets angry with you. Jesus didn't say that. Our prayer for the next several weeks is that the light bulb goes off. That those who have been hardened by church and religion and bad teaching will be able to come in and breathe and rest and experience the peace and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. That's our heart for that. You don't have to agree. That's fine. It's your first time here. I hope you come back. (laughs) If not, I understand. I'm going to tell you, God is absolutely madly in love with you. He is not mad at you. Do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes for me. I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to wrap the service up. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. I thank you for everything that you've done in this service day. Father, I thank you that you've gone before uh, the service into the hearts of those who are here, those who are listening. You're beginning to prepare that place. Father, that the words that were spoken today would reverb in our hearts as we go throughout the week, God, and that we would just be more convinced uh, today of your goodness than we were yesterday, more convinced tomorrow than we are today, God, that you love us so radically, God, that you love us, God, unconditionally, and that you're good. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen, amen. We'll see you next week, guys.